Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Talking Ship. I'm Megan Fitzgerald. And I'm J.P. Maddock. And this show is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one network for professionals. That's right. We're professionals. And by professionals, we mean we've made maybe $3 on an advertisement. (laughs) So congratulations. You've all boosted our ego. Yay. And now we have to file taxes. Welcome back to our Schitt's Creek season. We are doing five episodes on David and Patrick. And, you know, like the midway point of many journeys, of many heroes arcs, this episode, we're going to have some conflicts, maybe amongst ourselves, but mostly we mean just amongst David and Patrick. A dark soul of the night. A dark soul in the night will find you halfway through your journey. So it's episode three. We're talking about the drama. Drama. Total Drama Island. Another show that you should do a podcast on. We'll get there. It'll be like season... (laughs) That's um, the Gen Z crowd. Season 80. Yeah. So we're talking about the various conflicts David and Patrick go through this episode. We had to do it, guys. Everyone fights. Everyone poops. And everyone... Ships. Everyone ships. Good one. That's why you're the comedian. And it's important, I think, to acknowledge that Schitt's Creek is a comedy. Unlike other shows where there are these big dramatic arcs, these conflicts and little fights aren't very dramatic. You know, they're usually solved within an episode, but I think it will actually be easier to talk about because in the non-fictional world, most of the time, the big dramatic arcs we go through in our day-to-day lives aren't, you know, a biological daughter showing up and they aren't getting shot and then waking up two years later and your boyfriend is married to someone else and they aren't being in love with someone while you're simultaneously in purgatory most of the time. And they aren't like everyone's going over to a dinner only to get mass executed. Yes, good one. Good one. I wonder if anyone knows which one, which show I'm talking about. If you can match the shows we're talking about, we'll give you a shout out. Right. So like the rule of thumb in television is that you look at the main characters, they don't really grow so drastically that they become unrecognizable by the end of an episode. So like we need these characters to experience these little bits of conflict, but without so much that it affects them completely they're going to break down and now they're never not going to trust the world or something. Yeah, yeah. We like still want David Rose to be David Rose. He just maybe like learned a little lesson this episode. So most of the arcs we're talking about today are self-contained little moments um, that we're going to go through. And elaborate onto bigger moments within ourselves. Yeah, I think they do a really nice job at bringing up real conflicts and issues that happen in our day-to-day lives. So it should be uh, pretty relatable. It might be some pretty relatable content. Relatable content. Well, I don't know if that was a harmony or not, because I can't really tell from where we're, where we're at. But it was either a big clash of sound for everyone, or it was beautiful. And they were like, they need a recording. I'll figure it out in post. Yeah, exactly. We'll Auto-tune it. <laughs> uh, so this is relatable content. So this is how we're going to spell out for you. If you might see yourself in this episode and in Shit's Creek, because, you know, that's why that's why we do this. That is art holding up a mirror to society. You might be a David and Patrick if it's a relationship with some firsts in it. It could be your first serious relationship, your first queer relationship, your first relationship living with somebody. 
but there are some major firsts in the relationship. Yes, there are a lot of them in this one. You might be a David and Patrick. If your lover gets along with your family and your best friends and you're not quite sure how you feel about it. Mm. I think this one is a little looser. I mean, I think we know how they feel about it and I think they're very comfortable with it. But there is always that time where like your friends kind of take over your relationship a little bit and you're like, how do I feel? Is this okay? Yeah. I mean, I want them to be a part of my life. I want them to get everyone to get along, but not right. this far. Like, do I have to be in the room at all times with them because are they going to expose me? Yeah. When David's like, oh, so do you guys have a group chat without me? And they're yeah. like, yeah. Actually, we do. We and do. And he's like, haha. And he's like, so funny. I'm just going to leave and you're just going to talk about me? And they're like, like yeah. Yeah. That's, That's honestly one of my biggest fears. I was trying to be a very suave, sexy man, and now my all of my friends have exposed me. You might be a David and Patrick if you see each other constantly. You work together or you live together. Or, you know, this should be pretty relatable for most couples right now because we're in quarantine and right. you're probably around that person all the time. All the time. You might be a David and Patrick if you are slightly competitive with one another. Just keeping each other in check. Probably that's probably the best thing is like playfully keeping each other in check. Yeah, I like that. I actually, when couples can't do that, I hate couples that don't call each other out. Right. You really want to test the limits of a relationship, invite them over to game night and just watch how the couple works. Ooh, that, I'm going to start doing that as a test. Yeah. Get ready, everyone, for your invitations to game night. (laughs) Uh, You might be a David and Patrick if you're generally used to your independence and have not oft had to compromise for others. Okay, so you might be a David and Patrick if when one of you gets hot, the other one stays cool. Yeah. You might be David and Patrick if you're generally somebody who leans into a relationship for security, not for drama. Because you know how some people love the drama of their relationship? I mean, it's it's partially like loving the will they, won't they? But it's partially loving the mystery of a relationship. Like, yes. are they cheating on me? Can you believe he said this? And if you don't want any of that, if you just want the relationship to be your safe space, I think that's a very David and Patrick thing. I would agree. I think that David has had his fair share of wanting dramatic you know, relationships. Mm-hmm. But And look where that leads him. They never work. Right. And I think Alexis speaks to this, too, with Ted, where she's like, I've had my share of heartbreakers for a lifetime. I just want my cute little button. So let's get into it. Let's get into the drama. Let's start with an easy one. Let's start with a softball. This issue of compromising and how David is pretty unwilling to do it. And we're going to play a little clip from an episode just to give everyone uh, a brief recap of this plot point. I noticed we moved the lip bombs. Yeah, because we got these new breath mints in. I wanted to give them a fighting chance by putting them up near the cache. Huh. And we're moving the lip bombs, bestsellers, all the way to the corner. You know, David, one of the fundamental pillars of any successful business person is their ability to compromise. And I compromise all the time. (laughs) What? Nothing. I just, um, just remembering all those times that you compromised. <laughs> I was just thinking about the same things because there, there's so many. So in that case, I know that you were planning to go pick up the tote bags later this afternoon, even though I'd asked you to do that two days ago. So maybe in the interest of compromise, you could go and, and, and do that now. Listen, I am someone who I think we can all agree is generally right about everything. Um, you just... genuinely are or you genuinely think you are uh well i mean (laughs) i would say more often than not you end up being right but sometimes it takes years for me to be proven right right exactly i'm not great at compromise i come from a family of non-compromisers i tend to be someone who i think similar to david has 
a vision of how I want something done or how I want something to happen or how I want a day to go. Like when David talks about the engagement speech and he's like, I don't know, but maybe it goes something like this. And he goes through like, that's how I live pretty much my day to day life. And I do understand that that can be problematic, but I think it's usually well intended. And I think it is with David as well. And so part of me is like, yes, it's on the person who's bad at compromising, but also it's a little bit on the partner to understand when things are well intentioned, because usually my intentions are coming from a good place. Right. Sometimes they're even coming from the correct place. But Some would say the correct place. I think what's funny is uh, you and David probably would be great at event planning. Oh, we would. And uh, I would say that David isn't just so much unwilling to do so that he's just actually delusional in the fact that he thinks he's compromising in a lot of cases when really he's just getting what he wants. And he's like, I'm so glad we all agreed to this. And right, right, right. Yeah. But I, I love when lessons come in really small packages, mm. i.e. the chapstick. <laughs> yes, right. literally, literally small packages. Literal small packages. And what's so funny about that whole even argument on his side, he's like, they're over here. No one's going to even see them. And I'm like, that desk is probably like two feet apart where the mints and the chapsticks are. Right. So they think like then it comes into the scale of compromises. Right. Like, what Patrick does really well is present a small stepping stone into compromise. Let's just try this. Like, this isn't a big deal. And I think it is totally fair to compromise on something that is the scale of the lip balms and the breath mints. Right. There are things that are bigger things in your life that I think you do have, a if you do have a vision of or you do have an opinion on that you should not compromise for your partner. But I think in general, what Patrick asks him to do is like a very, it's like a nice learning tool to learn like what compromise actually is, because you're right, choosing between two Sandra Bullock vehicles is not actually <laughs> compromising. Right. Uh, I also think what Patrick does brilliantly, and I think this applies to compromise or kind of really any issue in a relationship, is he names it. And he does it really early and very naturally when it comes up. And I think what that does is it doesn't give the issue a chance to build and fester and become this big unsaid problem that creates narrative in the relationship and creates resentment in the relationship and eventually leads to a big explosive fight. I think by naming it casually and not naming it passive aggressively, it's a little sassy, but it's not like... I think the sass, though, doesn't come from like an attitude place. It comes from it being, is this really worth... Right. talking about right. i think you are hilarious to think that the reality of the world is that they cannot see the chapstick and the mint they can yeah. only see the chapstick it's like the white and blue or gold and right, right whatever right. dress that is yeah and i think by naming it so early it doesn't turn into this thing that a year down the line right. he's like and by the way the two feet between the chapstick and the breath mints wasn't a big deal right and then you look and then you when you make that argument look crazy for holding on to something so small yeah exactly exactly so i think when you name something it loses its power and you know then david's defenses they're up a little bit because he tends to run a bit defensive as most people with strong opinions like myself tend to but he does eventually admit at the end of the episode that he's bad at compromising. So I just think it's great that they they talk about it. I myself struggle 
with not letting like little things add up. And it's because I usually know I'm aware that it's a small issue and that I shouldn't bring it up. And then what it does is it just piles up and it does fester. And you know, you're with a good person when they can playfully call you out when they can even watch your gears turning in your head about something bothering you. And they're like, that bothers you kind of doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And you're like, yes, it does a little but the only reason why it bothers me is because of this. Be open, honest out on the table. It'll really help keep each other accountable. Yes. When you have the language to speak about an issue, then when it comes up again, you can just kind of point it out really casually and be like, this is an example of compromising instead of letting it fester, as you said. I also think it's a really important thing amongst friends. Yes. Too. I think what is nice about this little arc, this episode, is that eventually leads to him admitting that he can't compromise and then also kind of accidentally word vomiting that he calls Patrick his boyfriend. And I think that's a really lovely moment. And I think it shows that in their relationship and hopefully in all of yours, look, we're going to be nice to people in relationships today. That's our theme Um, to all of you lucky people in relationships. I think what this shows is that yes, this person has some issues compromising, but love is stronger. Patrick hearing David calling him his boyfriend was more important than the plungers being at the front or the back of the store. Right. And that is a bit of the compromise. That's like the big, good kind of compromise. Right. Right. Those are the compromises that matter. Are you going to be my boyfriend? Right. Not like the compromise of every week I do the laundry and all I ask you to do is put your shoes here. I mean, like those are... Obviously, if you're living with someone, probably add up and they get really annoying when that mm-hmm. person doesn't do it. But those are kind of like smaller compromises in the grand scheme of your relationship. Right. right. When you look back after you've broken up and everything, you're like, oh, I wish I didn't like always nitpick about this one thing. Like, right. that's so annoying. And the only reason why I do that is because of my own insecurity. And if I just voiced it differently, it wouldn't be such a big issue. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good lesson in the scale of things that actually matter. Yeah. Speaking of insecurity. Mm, yeah. Yes. I was going to say we're we're warming up into it. We're getting a slightly bigger issue. Right. So insecurity is actually a huge issue amongst individuals, amongst couples, amongst families. families. Yeah. But we're going to talk about it in the context of relationships and in David and Patrick. And I think the big way in which we see insecurity in relationships and insecurity specifically about the state of a relationship is in the episode where David and Alexis both take a relationship quiz and the answer that David, well, that both of them get, but that David thinks he gets is that the relationship is in need of a generator, which causes him to spiral a bit and force him and Patrick into a ropes course, which is something that the (laughs) two of them would normally never do. So let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. JP, where do you think insecurity in relationships comes from i think it comes from like a lack of confidence and like trust with your own self that Mm -hmm. then gets projected onto the relationship and i think that it gets projected in a way that sort of hinders communication the quiz is dated we know that we know it's a bit dated it's from like an old magazine I feel like the modern version of taking a quiz would be how your zodiacs line up. Because like in a chart, you've got, I don't know, like 12 or nine different planets or houses. I'm not even sure. But like somewhere in there, you really are going to find somewhere that you don't line up with. And it's, I always think that 
you can get hung up of that's the one thing that we're not compatible on or you can just take it as like that's a way that I can learn from the other person Mm -hmm. and I can like probably teach the other person about the two different aspects that we see something if you both plan differently you could probably teach each other about the beauty and the pros and the cons about both yeah or letting yeah I see what you mean like letting the results of something dictate some kind of narrative about what's going on between you I have a friend who was really insecure about her relationship because their astrological signs did not match up. This guy she was dating had a female friend who was the perfect astrological match. And she was always really insecure about this other girl because she would be like, but they're a perfect zodiac match. Like you can't, you can't stop that power. Instead of you know, acknowledging that that exists. And as you said, learning from the opportunity in the difference of their signs, she like totally let it take over her narrative. And she got really, really insecure about it. All of that kind of insecurity, though, is going to lead to the bigger issue that we'll talk about in a sec, which I think as insecurities get bigger, they turn into jealousies. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have been on that page where you just textbook wise, you're like, that person is so much better for you. I see it like you do that and that. And then when you stop and you think about who the person is that you're dating, you realize that, oh, wait, the reason why they love me is that I'm not that. Exactly. I think my whole thing about insecurities is that it usually comes from outside sources. And it's when you let an outside influence overpower the reality of the relationship and the reality of how you actually feel and how things actually are and how good things feel. And I think we all get to this state in a relationship where we're like, wait, am I doing this right? Is this good? I mean, it feels good, but maybe I, I maybe I'm wrong. And it's letting outside influences get in your head like this couple has sex five times a week. This couple. Oh, yes. And their partner work out together every day. This couple cooks dinner together every night. This couple wants to woodwork together. (laughs) Boring. I mean, I could never cook with a partner. I'm so frustrating to cook with. But I think that's what happens in this episode. Ted and Alexis go on these adventure dates and David's like, well, will you have to do that too? David and Patrick are not Ted and Alexis to the same degree that David is not Alexis. So why would their relationships look similar or look the same and that's for everyone why would your relationship look like any other relationship yet we're always continually finding reasons to doubt ourselves and doubt our relationships because we're using unfair or just irrelevant markers of success so i don't think that this happens in Schitt's Creek, but this definitely happens in our world, is that we have social media constantly in our face where you can just see people posting what they're doing in the relationship or just even what they're doing in their career. I used to play this game with a friend. This kind of always helps me when I feel really insecure. The game is that if you see someone else and you're like, ugh, I just really wish that my arms looked like his arms. You sort of like get hung up on like a a quality or an aspect of that person. Mm -hmm. We play this game where it's like now you have to change everything about yourself to fit everything that is that person. Mm -hmm. And then the more and more you place yourself in that person's shoes, you're like, oh, actually, I hate their job. I hate the way they dress. Their arms are awesome, but like it fits them. And then on me, it would be ridiculous. It's not me. Right. And it kind of just highlights and makes fun of the absurdity of us comparing one another to each other. Because we're all unique. We all have unique bodies, unique personalities, unique life experiences. And it's just not healthy or even worth your time to do it. Yeah. And unique needs and characteristics 
in relationships. I think what can get us through insecurity is tools exactly like you're saying and identifying, do you actually want this thing that you're convincing yourself that you do and the reality of what you have? And I think in this episode, in Schitt's Creek, it leads to this really beautiful moment where David does get to name all the things he loves about his relationship. We'll play it here because it's just a sweet little clip. Yeah. I feel the stupid quiz. And Alexis made me feel bad about it. David, you're basically 40 years old. I shouldn't be able to make you feel bad about anything. I love our relationship. I love it when you order me pizza. I love it when you use words like inventory. I even love those stupid rubber things you put on your fingers because you think they flip the pages faster. They don't flip the pages faster. They don't flip the pages faster. I think if you are feeling insecure in your relationship, you can just pull a David and hopefully you don't have to be 20 feet up on an air in a ropes course to name all the good things in your relationship. He and Patrick, you know, both actually end up feeling more secure in their relationship because he names all these things that he loves and they are simple things. And I think that's, that's what, man, that's what love is, right? It's loving the little rubber thumb covers about someone. It's loving the simple traditions, like doing inventory and (laughs) having coffee in the morning. And I think in a relationship, if the simplest, dullest moments aren't enhanced by your partner, then, you know, what are you doing? So love the rubber thumb thingies. The rubber thumb thingies are the stuff love is made of. So let's talk about jealousy in Shit's Creek. One of the episodes that this comes up in pretty obviously is Patrick's housewarming episode where they all have the high school themed party and they play a little spin the bottle. Mm. And Ted and David end up kissing, and Patrick and Alexis get very jealous and a little miffed about it. Listen, I watched a lot of behind-the-scenes videos today, and all of the actors love this episode. And I get kind of why there are some points in the plot they wanted to explore, Ted kind of being sexy and letting loose. And I Mm -hmm. think they needed to give Patrick some flaw, because in a lot of ways, Patrick has been pretty perfect up until this point. So making Patrick jealous. I understand why they had to do it. I just kind of don't buy this episode in a way. I'm sorry to everyone out. I might get some heat on the internet for this. I just... You will. I don't buy that these adults in their 20s and 30s get so upset about a kiss between David and Ted. And it was in... It's like a stage kiss. It's like when... Right. It was like a no tongue, very simple. Yeah hilarious party kiss i just don't buy that they would be jealous about this i i don't know jp would you let me kiss your um your lover at a party um actually no because my fictional lover is a high risk for covid oh. and i wouldn't feel comfortable you getting that close to him why is your fictional lover high <laughs> because risk he's for COVID? because he's just locked in a tower and he can't come out <laughs> he's not allowed to i'm very possessive uh <laughs> No, I actually am on this very same page with you. I mean, this episode, we're definitely very clearly in that season five hump of most TV shows. We've gone through it all, and now we're kind of playing a lot of fun and games. This episode is actually ranked really high out of the entire season. Really? Yes, I know. I was really surprised. When I watched it, the whole spinning the bottle thing, I thought was just... It's just fun and games as a TV show episode, but we didn't have to give Patrick a little... Make him three-dimensional... I don't think yeah. it's a true flaw that he's not like gets jealous over everything, no, but right. it is nice to see him dip his toe into 
showing a darker, unwanted side that he doesn't like. Yes, yes. And I do appreciate the episode for that. So I do think that some jealousy in a relationship is healthy. So let's talk about how much how much jealousy is healthy and do you need jealousy in a relationship? I think that if you do not get jealous at all, you are a psychopath. Done. Like, That's period. It. End of sentence. That's a wrap. We're done. Episode done. We're done. Goodbye. That's all you hope you know. learned something. Yes, hope you learned something. If you don't get jealous, you're crazy. So Jealousy is so normal and so human. And I think every relationship needs 15% jealousy. I like that number. 100% jealousy. It's like a full pen badgley will murder somebody that you're torture and murder somebody that you're from you from you. Cool. Just making people pen badgley. Yeah. So that's like 100 uh, percent jealousy is stalking and murdering and zero percent jealousy is they'd let you sleep with anyone you want without caring. Again, a psychopath. And I think 15 percent falls if they bring up a coworker's name more than three times in a week. You're just like noticing you're perking your ears up a bit i think 15 percent jealousy is if you're out in public and you see them touch the arm or the elbow of someone that they could be attracted to and it stays there longer than one mississippi you're crossing the room just just to assess the situation but you're making a cross it's funny you choose the elbow because the elbow i think is one of the only places that like if you like touch someone as like a coworker, you can't be like that's true maybe the I elbow mean, is just like a really non-sensitive i mean like um bicep the, or forearm yes bicep or bicep forearm, forearm shoulder shoulder yeah. li- it would be dangerous if you saw your your significant other touching someone else's thigh or oh, leg God. like that would be a major no yeah 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 but yes if you have like the little gentle little some people's love language is touch right, right. so you see them touch more people that they're comfortable with mm-hmm. and i think that's just like based on you and your relationship and your partner totally but yes yeah. i think that that is a good point if you see that happening just make your presence known yeah all this to say i think it's healthy that patrick has some je- jealousy and i think a lot of ways it humanizes him because he's come he's so reasonable and measured up until now so i think i think it's nice i think it's a little spicy that we get some patrick jealousy and i'm happy for david and patrick about it yeah i think some jealousy is sexy Mm -hmm. like if you're out with your significant other and they maybe touch you a little bit more when you're talking to someone just to sort of show yeah. that they are or you are theirs. Mm-hmm. I've, Ooh, I was with someone who we were like out dancing and someone else came up and danced with me for a sec and he just put two fingers on that guy's forehead and pushed him away. <laughs> and I was like, that is the sexiest thing I've ever been a part of. I mean, if it w- had turned into a punch, we would have had an issue. Yeah, but I've been yeah, like, yeah. okay, you can't just punch someone who like shows me some attention. But I do love the little bit of possession mm-hmm. thing. Jealousy is like super common in gay male relationships. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with because men typically view their significant other as a possession. Not, I won't say that like them as a possession, but the relationship as a possession. Mm-hmm. I was reading some stats about this. It's more common for men, and it's even more common for gay men, because if you think about the gay culture and everything that it is, it's very sort of survival of the fittest. We compete to look a certain way, have our hair done, you know, all that jazz with one another. And there is a lot of this very 
common in our culture, flirtatious talking with people. And sometimes that rubs people who are in a relationship off in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And it makes them a little bit jealous. And there are some qualities about how jealousy can pop up into your relationship without you even noticing. And then as you sort of self-assess and press them down, they can end up being like little microaggressions against yourself. So a really common one is when you don't know something about your partner. So you learn something about your partner, but you don't learn it from them. Mm, through somebody else. Yeah, through something yeah, else. And, I get that. Yeah, and like the way that it made sense in my mind was, let's say, Megan, you're in a relationship. Congratulations. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> and uh, your partner, your significant, significant other, tends to come home a lot later than you like to stay up mm-hmm. just because of their job or something. Mm-hmm. So you're going to sleep. And your significant other knows, oh, well, she's already asleep. I might as well get a drink with my coworker and then comes home really late. Like you might wake up in the morning and you go on Instagram and you see on the story that they went out and they didn't tell you anything. You didn't get a text message and you might just be like, oh, that makes me so. I would be jealous. That would be, I would perk up. Um, And then when your partner finds a stranger attractive Mm. and... I would be interested to see this happen with David and Patrick because they might actually learn so much about Patrick's sexuality through this. Right. Well, that's funny that you bring that up because I actually would argue that it does happen with David and Patrick. But before we transition into a different way that jealousy looks, how do you feel like people can tell if their jealousy is a healthy level of jealousy or an unhealthy, unattractive, toxic version of jealousy? So the toxic one, which is the one that you should look out for, is when the jealousy evokes anger or paranoia or Mm. passive aggressive behavior, or you start distancing yourself from your partner. That is when you start hindering the relationship. I agree. Really, jealousy, for me, it... I think it stems from you feeling a lack of appreciation in whatever sort of realm. Mm -hmm. So if you see the other person, you get jealous of them checking out someone, it's because you don't feel like they check you out enough. Mm -hmm. And maybe you just need to mention that either to yourself or to them uh, and talk about it. Obviously, it's super healthy to check out other people in relationship. It's super unrealistic to think that the other person is only ever into you, Never going to find anyone else attractive ever again. Yes. Yeah. But what you were saying, and it is true of them checking out a stranger does come into play at Chicks Creek in a very fun way. Yes. So uh, let's talk about this episode with Ken. And I think this will lead into a kind of specific topic about being somebody's first queer relationship. Mm-hmm. So Ken is the shopper who comes into the store, the cute little guy with the pointy shoes that gives Patrick his number. And this leads David and Patrick to a conversation about how Patrick has never been with other men. And so David kind of gives Patrick the go ahead to go on a date with Ken. What did we think of this plot of this idea of needing to explore other people before settling down? Do you think it's important to have that experience? I definitely am a big believer that if you are coming into terms with your own sexuality and your purpose in this life, you should be able to explore it however you need to. I don't think that it is necessary if you are in a relationship with someone to open that relationship in order to explore it. I think that with Patrick in particular, he has had enough exploration with women 
And then to get to David and to say all these things and know all these things, and they are so compatible, that is like enough security for him. I think I encourage people who are coming to terms with their sexuality while in a relationship with someone, if especially if it is going to turn into a mixed orientation relationship, to be on the same page, talk about where you're both at, and talk about how your needs need to be met. Because if you start exploring too far beyond what your partner knows that you are exploring, then your trust is no longer the same. Right. Right. And I think that's what Alexis was trying to like warn David against basically is set ground rules. They're in a very specific position because it is Patrick's first queer relationship. And we'll get there because I think that is a specific dynamic. But I think in general, I have had this conversation of being with a really serious partner and there were a lot of things we hadn't done with other people. And I think this comes up for people who are, you know, with their high school partner, with their college partner, gets to the point where it's kind of like, okay, is it going to be this person forever? And are we okay with being with this person forever if there wasn't other exploration? And I truly think in general, you do need exploration. I think the average human does need experience outside Mm -hmm. of this one person. And I think it's super important, especially when you're young to learn about yourself emotionally, to learn about yourself sexually. In that conversation, the answer for me was, I'm not okay only being with this person forever. He told me at the time, I am okay with it just being you forever. And I think being that person, being the Patrick who eventually tells David, you know, I am okay not exploring other people is the exception to the rule. Because Patrick is so confident and secure and has had experience with women and has been in other relationships. If you can trust that it's somebody who knows themselves pretty well and has done a lot of reflecting, I think it is possible to trust that Patrick is answering honestly when he says that he doesn't, he ends up not going on the date with Ken. So I think that I buy it in this case that he didn't need to go explore. But I think in the non-fictional world, if someone is the Patrick, that is a rare, rare kind of person. I would give them like a lot of time to make that decision and make sure that they feel 100% about it before you trust it. Because, you know, David's fear about him wanting to explore down the line is super valid. I think, Patrick aside, Mm -hmm. when our response to exploring comes from, no, I don't need that. No, I don't need that. It's probably from society and all its conservativeness telling us what is appropriate and what is healthy. But Mm -hmm. when you really look at the grand scheme of life, there are so many things in life and don't you wish that you could explore and taste it? And I don't think there's ever been someone who has went and explored, felt so awful that they just wish they hadn't done it. Right. Because even if you go and you explore and you're like, that's not for me, that wasn't for me, you just now confirmed for yourself and you will never have those questions in the future. So I do think if the opportunity comes where you can explore something other than that and you haven't been doing it prior to this relationship, Mm -hmm. then you should take it. Yeah. My thing for me was, could I stand at the altar And tell this person, yes, I'm sure it's you and be 100% about it. And my answer was no. And so I think that you're right in exploring and giving yourself the chance. You're just at least, if nothing else, eliminating the questions, eliminating the doubt. So I had a friend who was in a polyamorous relationship and she was telling me the way that a lot of poly people view monogamy is that they see it sort of as a fetish. I don't think that they're going to open, David and Patrick would open their relationship and turn into a polyamorous. I don't really see that happening in Shakes Creek. 
but that idea does make sense to me where you become obsessive over having sex with one person and pleasuring them and exploring with them. And that I think is sort of how Patrick views with David is that he feels like that is the perfect amount of exploration with David. Mm -hmm. I don't think he needs someone else in order to explore. I could maybe see David coming forward and being like, I, as a pansexual, want more. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that he would either because of just how much he cherishes Patrick. And he's so secure with Patrick. Let's just kind of go into, in general, kind of a more recurring theme in their relationships of being somebody's first queer relationship and the specific set of concerns and, you know, I'm sure joys too, but this certain set of issues that comes with that. I personally have never been someone's first. Someone has been my first, but I've never had the opportunity of being someone's first gay experience or gay boyfriend or queer experience or anything. And I practically came out of the closet holding my boyfriend's hand, which we'll talk more about when we go into the coming out scene. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my views on this relationship come from knowing what Patrick is going through entering his first queer relationship. And... For me, I just don't think it is Shit's Creek. Like, I don't think it is that show that we need to really address every aspect of what it's like to be in a first queer right. relationship. Like, I feel like if it was on HBO, we would totally see them exploring the bedroom a little bit right. more. Being like, what is a top? What is a bottom? What is the verse and everything in between? And where Patrick lies within there. And then maybe, like, just culturally, the, the dark rooms or going to a surrogate party or anything like that, that would be like HBO's version of Shit's Creek, which yeah. I, if that's what you're looking for, like watch Looking or Queer as Folk because they they really cover all of that. And Den Loving was pretty specific about not wanting this to be a gay relationship that quote unquote teaches the world right. about gay culture and queer relationships in general. So that feels pretty conscious. I think David, after learning, I think his mistake, I'm, I'm still kind of on the side that David during the whole Rachel thing it was like more on David's side to have taken that that lead I think after that he really does really good work on allowing there to be a safe space for Patrick to come out I think that's a huge step on David's part allowing the whole kin situation to even be brought up yeah. because there is a small risk that he could fall in love with Ken and mm -hmm. leave him and then he really would be damaged goods right Truly. He would, yeah. and who would he blame himself? And we would see right. a very dark, different show. Yeah, I've seen other pop culture critics say that they don't buy the David and Patrick relationship because it's Patrick's first relationship with a man and that it's quote unquote doomed mm -hmm. to eventually catch up to them. For me, I just don't really buy into that. I think it sort of belittles the whole gay experience to being like, when you are gay, you do this. Mm -hmm. And for them, it makes sense that they will end up together. No, I don't buy either. I think that the relationship works in a lot of ways. And I want to play this audio that they really speak to. It's Patrick's first queer relationship, but it's David's first serious. All the things that, uh, that you're supposed to feel, I, I, I felt them last night. Well, if we're being honest with each other, this is sort of like my first time too. I mean, it's not. I've kissed like a thousand people, but nobody that I cared about or respected or thought was nice. So in a way, it's like we're both starting something new. Thank you, David. And hey, for the record, I, I also respect you and, and think that you're a, a good person. Mm. It's just I said nice person. I know. 
in a way that goes back to this balancing act that we've talked about before. And it works because they're each very strong and secure in a way, and they're each very vulnerable in a way. Patrick knows how to have a serious relationship. That's very new for David. So that creates some vulnerability for David. And David knows how to be in a queer relationship. And he is able to then be strong for Patrick, who is vulnerable in that way. And I think you're right. David really does step up to the plate. Pop baseball. Oh, bringing it back. <laughs> and, and learn how to do that better for Patrick. That ends up being the more important dynamic for these specific people that I think outweighs this fear that eventually Patrick's going to want something else. I just don't think that's who they are. I just don't think that's who they are. And I think Patrick is overall really lucky to have David as his first. Mm -hmm. So coming out, holding someone's hand, as I'm now going to refer to it always. He had great hands, by the way. The guy? Yeah. Great. Well, that's My first boyfriend. He had great hands. I always want to come out with chapped hands. Yeah. He had great hands. So we're going to talk about the episode that Patrick comes out to his family. David has tried to throw Patrick a surprise party. In doing so, he invites Patrick's parents. Johnny references David and Patrick's romantic relationship. It comes as a shock to Patrick's parents. And we find out that Patrick has not told his parents that he is in a relationship with David. So let's talk about this as a coming out storyline, because I think it's, and I think Dan Levy said this, he's seen this story so many times and he wanted to tell it in a way that felt true to the show and a little bit more true to these characters and, you know, make it somewhat funny. And also, I think it's a bit more of a modern coming out story. Honestly, I cringe in most coming out scenes. Sometimes it is so unrealistic and sometimes it's just so contrived and they paint the father to be, you know, this villain who's unsupportive and the mother to be sort of complacent in that or vice versa. And Versus these parents, I think they literally wrote the archetypes of well-intending parents in America. Right. Like right. These are some of the best written parents I've seen on TV. Also, some of the best cast parents I've seen on TV. These parents have definitely watched some television shows and maybe even um, seen the Elaine coming out episode. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Which is an iconic and really great TV moment. Right. They like understand that gay people exist. Yes, exactly. They've seen enough. They've read enough. They maybe even did a simple Google search on how appropriately to respond Mm -hmm. in between the time that we saw them learn and to the time it actually happens. As a whole, coming out scenes are weird for me because... I just think they're weird. The idea that you have to come out and be like, hey, mom and dad, I know that you've had these preconceived ideas and dreams of how my life will play out and who I'll end up with. And I'm just really sorry. That's just like not my reality. Having to do that, it just, I I think it's always so weird and it's cringy, mostly maybe because I've gone through it. And so I know what they are feeling, everyone Mm -hmm. involved. I see parents kind of going through this where they're like, oh, well, that makes total sense. I I saw that coming. There were signs everywhere, actually. I knew that. I'm I'm brave. Oh, Mm -hmm. but I just wish that we could go back to the time when everything was magic. And I, and I could just like, wasn't it just so much happier? And you see that kind of happening with parents. I mean, it definitely happened with mine. At the very end, they're just like, well, at least you told me. So thank you. Mm -hmm. I think there's different levels of being accepting of it. And I think, as I said, what's nice about this show and the way that they wrote Patrick's parents is they kind of wrote them a little bit in the middle. And I think that, you know, we're at a stage now. There's been queer characters on television since the 70s. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the slightly older 
generation that would be, you know, parents to Patrick, they have watched their contemporaries come around on gay marriage and they have opened up to the idea of it, you know, because of shows like this and because of shows like The L Word and Queer's Folk and Will and Grace and Modern Family and Queer Eye and Drag Race and all of these shows that are so a part of our culture. I think there's this level of awareness of knowing that queer people exist versus being okay with it being your own child. Yeah. But I'm still appreciative that they didn't even take it down that route. They went down the road of, of course, we're okay with it. We're trying to understand why you didn't tell us. Right. And I think that's a very modern spin on this coming out story. Right. I think the way that it is handled on this television show, they've taken a serious moment in a queer person's life and put a comedic spin on it because it's that constant, oops, we've exposed something. Oops, we've exposed something. Now we all have to pretend we don't know. We don't, have to, we don't know. We don't know. So that when it does get exposed, oh, it got exposed for the first time ever. They make smart choices in how they present the parents and how we can immediately get so much information about who they are and what their ideas are. Specifically, the one I'm thinking about is when David shows up to confront the parents with that basket full of things. And they do kind of give that moment where we, the audience, think, oh, it's going to be what we've always seen on television, which is, oh, what did we do wrong? Why is he gay? But really what it is is, you know. No, we're okay that he's gay. Why didn't he tell us? Like, why didn't he tell us? Like, why didn't he feel safe? I feel so bad. Like, I also love, I think it's such a great moment when Johnny comes in. I think it's sweet because, you know, he's there probably to smooth things over. And he sees David and he goes, David, how are you? Happy, I hope, because isn't that what matters the most? (laughs) He clearly went in there to have like a parent to parent conversation about having a queer child or a gay child. And I thought that that's a really sweet little nod to the different types of parents because Johnny's become so open and aware and accepting and i think that was like a nice little nice little moment i think in the actual coming out the way that it's handled it's not really handled very well no it's not smooth. it's fully (laughs) taken away from him but um i think it makes for hilarious television right and when we come down to the actual part of coming out where patrick is able to sit at the booth with his parents and say it I've noticed that he doesn't actually say, mom and dad, I'm gay. He says, this is my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And I did the same thing when I came out. And I came out to my mom and was like, oh, this guy's my boyfriend. And she was like, really? Him? Like, oh, my God. I didn't think that you would be able to get someone so hot. And I was like, oh, thank you. I know. And then she was kind of like, you have to tell your father because I can't keep a secret. Mm -hmm. And so made me tell my dad like the most heterosexual place in the world we were like in a fort with machinery everywhere there was like a cannon right next to us and i was just like hey dad mom wants me to tell you that i'm dating this guy and then he's just sort of as like the science mind he has kind of just spewed out all of the information he has about gay culture and gay Mm -hmm. life at the time he's like i've seen that episode of ellen (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) exactly he was like oh don't get aids and if you do like it's okay like there's medicine and i was like yeah dad i've googled it I've seen Angels in America. Yeah, exactly. We had to read that. We see in that episode, the parents and David all say that he is gay, so they know. But what I'm saying in the actual coming out part is that Patrick himself doesn't present that word to his parents. Mm-hmm. And he says, this is my boyfriend. And f- in personal experience, that kind of came back and haunted me and kind of like slapped me in the butt. After we broke up, my mom was like, so are you going to date girls again? And I was mm-hmm. like, I had to re-come out and be like, no, it's 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 guys. It's yeah. I'm gay. I just didn't, I wasn't as clear for you as I should have been. 
I honestly, my whole coming out story was just a wrench in my own system. I accidentally did it through Facebook. My boyfriend was like, in really wants to be in a relationship with you. And I was like, oh, sure. And then I went to class, came out of class, I had like 85 notifications of people being like, is this a joke? So that would be your note. Yeah, my note is when you are coming out, you should just like be as clear as where you are at in your journey and you're coming out to the people who need to hear it so that they don't have this weird lying in the back of, oh, I think they're just exploring. I'm not really right. sure. It's a, well, I think that's it's, like, a phase. it's a phase. You hear that one a lot. Television really does have the power to infiltrate the minds and the opinions of the masses. Mm-hmm. And it can introduce topics that a lot of people aren't close to and they feel like maybe they are alien to in their actual life. So they might be able to see it happen or witness how something is handled. And then when it happens in their real life, have something to draw upon or maybe have a a more informed opinion based on those television shows. I know a lot of people use the wine metaphor when they are describing their sexuality. Mm, I love that. What I'm seeing a trend in the television shows that are including coming out scenes is that it's becoming more mundane in the way that it's being presented. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's becoming more of an acceptive constructional way mm-hmm. of dealing with it of how do we go about doing this now instead of one where the person who comes out loses their friends or family or it's not even they get the opportunity to come out to them they they walk in on them on something which is mm-hmm. already awkward enough yeah. then they have to deal with all that and for a lot of older LGBTQ plus members, that is a reality that it probably did exist for a lot of them. They probably had to sacrifice their friends and family in order to live their truth in their life. Mm-hmm. And by stop using that as the story we keep telling in television, we keep telling the other story, which is it's totally normal, it's fine, mm-hmm. and the family accepts it, hopefully kind of turns the other story as a less common outcome and it'll hopefully prevent people from being fearful i mean i know i think that's what sort of held me back for so long i didn't grow up with anyone who was gay or anything the only reference i had was that everyone said that the french teacher was gay and i didn't even take french and i was like how do you know and they were like oh well you can tell by the way he walks and he had like a limp and so i was like well i'm definitely not gay because i'm not french (laughs) i'm not french and i don't have a limp Hopefully, by doing this, our power and our storytelling in television and everything is that it will eradicate that fear of coming out and the fear of losing your friends and family. And it'll just be a small story. I know that does exist and it's really sad and something we have to work on as a whole, but yeah, hopefully it's just gone. I think in, in so many ways, in making their relationship healthy and joyful and celebrated, that's revolutionary in itself and that's teachable in itself and that's enough and i think it does provide a framework for people to see this conversation happen i mean obviously there's like wrenches thrown into the plan to make Mm -hmm. it funny but i think in a lot of ways the actual conversation with the parents and the way that david handle handles it does provide like this is how it can look and have it be healthy and productive yeah and a good experience for the person coming out instead of surrounding it with humiliation or violence or rejection. I know, again, like Dan Levy wasn't trying to teach anybody with this relationship, but I think if there was a lesson from this, it is as a partner, be selfless enough to understand that this is 
a very personal journey and allow them the space to do it on their own terms. And I think even in David saying like, I can just be your business partner tonight if that's what you want, you know, is so makes it all about Patrick and is such like a beautifully empathetic, beautifully understanding and loving gesture to create this experience for the other person. And like, yes, he's kind of ruined it. (laughs) Right. Um, But he's doing his best to kind of save it and, and let Patrick have this opportunity. Right. I think the big thing is that David has learned to be where Patrick is in his journey of coming out. Whereas Mm -hmm. before with Rachel, I think what he expected from him is he wanted him to be somewhere that he wasn't. Like so many aspects of this show, people rise to the occasion and surprise you by how, you know, ultimately like love is at the center of all of it. And I think Patrick's very lucky that 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 was the case for him. He was also lucky in that David was able to handle this coming out so well. Well, this was uh, a bit of a heavier episode as the episodes where we talk about drama usually are. So we're going to wrap it up with a bit of comedy from comedy legend J.P. Maddock. We're going into Concerned Co-Star. And if you haven't heard the segment before, this is where, you know, in television where there's a mysterious character that enters for just that one episode and provides some words of wisdom that then changes a character's path forever. <laughs> if that kind of arc existed in Schitt's Creek, which it doesn't. Because they write really good television. They write really well. Yeah. But if they were to write slightly less well. And if it was on a different channel. Right. If this was like a WB show. <laughs> yeah. This is what that character would say. So, JP, this is your concerned co-star. So yes. why don't you um, set the scene for us a bit? So this is for Patrick. Mm, okay. Interior, hospital recovery room, morning. Patrick gets up from a chair as a nurse, 40s, sporty spray tan and short gelled hair, wheels a somewhat loopy David towards Patrick. The nurse to Patrick. (laughs) Is this one yours? You must be sweet little button face. He's a little loopy from the Novocaine, but he's all yours. Trust me, he couldn't stop talking about you. Well, mostly there's a lot of mumbling, but he loves you. He loves how confident and even-tempered you are and thinks it's cute when you get jealous. Said he'd probably get jealous of me. I think he thought I was some manly nurse flirting with him. It's the hair. (laughs) You don't need to worry at all about this one. He is yours for the long haul. And hey, I know it's not really my place to say this, but coming out can be really tricky. But you're really lucky to have someone like this, this loopy, loopy little man right here by your side to go through it with you. Although, you may want to wait until he's slept it off a little bit before you start talking and doing the big steps. Scene. Wow. you got it. (laughs) Who would be your casting? Who would be your casting choice for this? Um, You know, this would be like one of those casting where they would really hate this co-star casting because it would be like, broad range, want to see multiple types of people, like send in everyone, anyone from Diana Maria Riva, who is from Dead to Me. She plays the, she plays the the detective who's Hispanic mm-hmm. woman with the big curly hair. Mm-hmm. Her, she'd be great. Mm-hmm. Or like Edie Falco, if they got the big budget because of Nurse Jackie, you know, right, right, right. we know her. It's a crossover episode. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. Or maybe even uh, just anyone who just seems like a little bit ethereal, a little bit trashy at the same yeah. time. Ethereal and trashy. Like, um, 
Who's a who wants a hot dog real bad and legally blonde? Um, oh, Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Oh, she would be so good in Shit's Creek. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So next episode we'll be talking. Well, it's I'm gonna call next episode um, "How to Get Married" from "I Love You" to "I Do," and we will be talking about the sixth season. So yeah. So if you are really eager, you've got a whole week. You can easily be the sixth season. I watched the sixth season in a night, I think. So get it done for us. Yeah. And then tune in because we'll be talking about it. We'll be talking about it. Let us know what you thought about these conflicts, about this drama. And if you've had any of these issues in your own relationship, you know, talk some ship with us. Yeah. And we'll see you next time. Ship talkers. Okay. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. This has been Talking Ship. If you had a nice time, we would be so grateful if you could rate and review the podcast. We're still a pretty new show, so those stats really do help us out. Thank you so much to JP Maddock for being my wonderful co-host this season. You can follow him on social media at jpepe. That's J-A-Y-P-A-E-P-A-E. You can find the podcast on social media too at Talking Ship Podcast for all kinds of content and updates. And if you'd like to follow me, I'm at OnlyMegan815 on all the platforms. That's Megan with no H. No H. Talking Ship is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one network for professionals. So thank you to the whole team there for helping make this show happen. And thank you to Chris Meisner for composing our theme music that you're currently listening to. And that will fade out now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.